Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Thursday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We have Super Talk Do It All Man Michael Borky on today. It was one of those Borky episodes. There's a lot of different stuff I wanted to get to. Talked a lot of NIL. Um, that Matt Luke story that Ross Dellinger dropped last week about Matt Luke just walking away, how you're going to see more coaches do it. Different stuff about the ecosystem of college football and college uh, sports really as a whole, plus some Ole Miss baseball stuff at the end. I think it's a really good conversation. Always enjoy uh, yucking it up with Borky, chatting it up. Oh, and uh, some NBA talk at the end. How could I forget? We turned it into uh, Pelican's Corner. So some NBA at the end, something for everyone in this podcast. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Just because March Madness is over does not mean Skybox has slowed down. We've got the MLB package going live on site this month. The NBA playoffs are churning and burning. They hit an 18-unit winner in NASCAR the other weekend. Skybox is going to lead you to profit more consistently than anyone else in the industry and certainly more consistently than your own brain. It's how this works. They're the professionals. They do it off math, not a lean you get five minutes before tip-off because you think you know it all. We've all been there. You don't want the bookie texting you on Sunday nights asking to square up, adding to the already Monday scaries coming. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether it's month-long, Season-long, you can go sports-centric, all sports, whatever you want to do, Skybox is going to have it for you. Year-long, all-excess pass is the way I'd go because when you do business with Skybox, it's an investment that's going to grow. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Go pick a package, maybe get some merch, and then use the promo code RIPPY, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, two P's, two E's, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. How about that? Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. We got a grill corner. If you're listening to this podcast and you have a grill corner question you want submitted, tweet it to me, email it, whatever. We're going to be doing a grill corner on Thursday night, actually. So I'll drop the pod on Friday. But uh, as you're listening to this, we might be recording grill corner. Who knows? So send me your questions if you have them. Do a little Kentucky Derby preview and uh, probably take some Mailbag Friday questions as well. So how about that? Um, check them out. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get Free newsletter for me a couple times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks plus a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you taken care of, get you set up over there. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is the best place in Mississippi in the world to get meat, for that matter. All kinds of delicious sausages, different cuts, crab stuff, mushrooms. Love the sides, the filet burgers. Go find your own favorites at LB's. It is absolutely the best butcher shop in the world. Weather's getting better. It's grilling season. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. If he doesn't have something, he will get it for you. I can promise you that. Check him out. What a, uh, just a jewel of the town there in Oxford. LB's University Avenue. All right, here is Michael Borky. All right, we now welcome on Super Talks Do It All Man, Michael Borky, Sports Talk Mississippi, three to six every day, five days a week. Um, Become the utility man on this podcast. We always have you on when there's just a plethora of things to talk about. It's weird sitting in mid-April, or I was about to say mid-April. My God, it's already May, where baseball's kind of at the back burner of probably this conversation. We'll get to a little bit of it, but uh, what's up, man? How are you? Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, – I hope you had the over on people calling college sports the wild, wild west. I, I hope you had the over on whatever number that was set because, buddy, it is the wild, wild west out there. 
I just hope we can come up with a better cliche than that at some point. I don't know what to call it because, you know, I mean, people were saying the Wild West back before NIL. It was like if they don't punish X school for the fake classes or, you know, sleeping on the couch, free pizza and stuff like that, you know, possibly giving Leo Lewis $80,000 in a parking lot or whatever the hell it is. Like, stuff like that. People are like, if they don't punish them, college football is going to turn in the Wild West. And now they brought it, like, all above board. I really I really don't know what to call it. It's – I guess it – is it the purest form of a free market? Because, like, okay, you have capitalism or whatever, but there's regulations on this stuff. Like, Wall Street or whatever can't do literally whatever they want. Everything is regulated. It is, like, the purest sense of a free market without any regulations, and I think that's what's rubbing people the wrong way, myself included to some degree. Like, it's exhausting to keep up with. It's not sustainable. Something is going to happen. I just don't know what. Yeah, I've spent, obviously, as you have and, and Neil and Chase has, and, and basically everybody at this point has spent so much time talking about it. I do, I've learned a handful of things uh, through all of this, though. Uh, the first one is we have a lot of disingenuous clowns in this business, a lot of them. Uh, like, for example, Paul Feinbaum this week said, and I'm paraphrasing, that college football is no longer a pure game. Oh, God. I missed I, that. I, a radio host in, in a SEC market with a blue check mark said, after Auburn got a basketball commit, He's just looking forward to the day where the first thing he doesn't think is how much did that cost? And a lot of the arguments and stuff in the discourse around this is so disingenuous. Uh, so that's the first thing I've learned is a lot of people that are in our business that should know better are pretending like they did not know better. The second thing that I've learned though, and this is the most important thing to me, and this is why I think Ross Dellinger's most recent report about the NCAA trying to regulate NIL, I don't think they can. I think it's too late. But what they can attempt to do is try to get people to start operating in the shadows again. And the reason I say that and why that would be good is because I have learned that most people, the vast majority of people, maybe all of them, that are upset about the current state of college sports, specifically football, should have known what it always was and probably did know what it always was, but we're choosing to ignore it. They just didn't want to see it. It was, it, it, was under, it, was a, it was the underbelly. Now it's the cockroaches are scattered yes. and the lights turned on. And people exactly. don't like that. Exactly. I mean, Understandably you should, so. I get it. If you're one of those people, I, I'm not like bemoaning people for doing that. No. Thinking I, that way. I, I get it. But – anybody that is surprised by this or, or wants to pretend it wasn't always like this, I mean, you've seen it time and time again. Cam Newton with Mississippi State and Auburn. Reggie Bush going to Southern Cal. I mean, my gosh, Leo Lewis admitted to the NCAA he got paid by three different schools in the SEC West. Sean Gary was, given, or was offered $300,000 by not the school that he was signed with. Everybody knows why N'Kobe Dean went to Georgia, but the differences between then and now is you know why N'Kobe Dean went to Georgia, but you can't prove it. You know it because you have a brain that functions, but there's no proof that it happened that way. And, and I think most people knew, should have known. I mean, my gosh, college basketball coaches got arrested 24 different schools, if I counted correctly, it's either 22 or 24 different schools 
were named in a federal investigation into At college least students are in prison right now. Starting in February, they started their sentences. Are in prison right now for it. Twenty-four different schools. Creighton was one of them. Clemson football got mentioned in there. Michigan football got mentioned in there. A guy went to prison who had a direct line of communication with Ed Orgeron because he was using a hospital charity to funnel money to players. That has always been the case, but the difference is it operated in the shadows. I think that most people knew this, but they don't like knowing it, and they'd prefer not to. And I, I did not realize that that was the case really until this discourse started, that people were choosing to ignore every sign that it's always been about money or other things. It's always been mom got a job, dad got a car, handler got some cash, whatever the case may be. I remember I was in college sitting in a car with a recruit talking about how he can't go to Ole Miss because another SEC West school, which really a booster, is giving him more. He straight up said, man, I like it here, but they're giving me this. So I got to go there. That's how it's always been. But now since it's out in the open, people are freaking out. The part you mentioned about it going back into the shadows really resonated with me because I was thinking about this. I can't remember last week, a couple of weeks ago, it was sometime recently. I was trying to write about it for the newsletter and I didn't end up doing it because honestly, I couldn't form like a fully coherent thought. Like I wrote like 300 words and I was like, this shit didn't make any sense. This is just rambling. But I got to the point where I was like, okay, there's going to be a market correction for this because Quinn Ewers taking however much money he ended up getting. That's another thing about this. These aren't like contracted really. So we don't know how much money these guys are getting or if they're getting screwed or taken advantage of. That still has to play out. Like, but the Quinn Ewers, however much money he got to play zero snaps at Ohio State and then come back to Texas, you know, I mean, he's a South Lake Carroll kid right here in the DFW area coming back to his home state school. I imagine whoever gave him money in Columbus, Ohio, probably not thrilled about that ROI. So, like, there's going to be some sort of market correction eventually. Maybe it's already in the process of happening. There's got to be a couple of dudes that are just like, to hell with this. I'm getting burned by this. So, that coupled with the NCAA is trying to figure out a way to enforce this. I haven't read Dellinger's article yet, but I bookmarked it from either yesterday or today. Which one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As we record this on a Tuesday, the, uh, the NIL collective crackdown that the NCAA claimed they're going to do. And I was like, I haven't even read it yet, but I was like, okay, good luck. But, like – if they're trying to crack it down, whatever you know, sham of a governing body we still have, I was like, okay, well, they're going to start trying to crack it down. Then there's going to be a market correction. You can't technically recruit kids and say, hey, we're going to give you this much money if you come here. Is this all just going to go full circle and come back to it with the way it's always been? And then I sat there for a second. I was like, am I stoned? Like, I was so confused in my own thoughts. I was like, <laughs> I was like am I high right now? Like, it's just like a hamster wheel spinning in circles. But in a way – is that where we're headed? Is this all going to end up being like, is this going to end up being like semi above board to where it's like, yes, you can pay these kids, but we're going to enforce it. And if you're, you know, enticing kids to come here beforehand and all that, is that part going to stay in the shadows? I just don't understand where this is going, honestly, if that makes any sense at all. Well, I think that's the only thing that they can do at this point is try to get it to operate in the shadows again. I think that's the only thing they can do. And the, the question is, how are you able to do it? But Elliot just shared something a second ago. The NCAA 25 years ago tried to cap uh, assistant coaches' salaries. Guess what? They were sued and they lost. So assistant coaches can make whatever they want. The, their arguments don't necessarily stand up 
in court. We've seen that time and time again. They lose often when, when their model gets taken to court. I, I don't know any time that they've really won. I'm sure there is one, but they struggle winning when it comes to court. But as Chase said on, on this podcast feed today, you are a voluntary member of the NCAA. State laws say that Mississippi athletes can get a certain thing, but Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Southern Miss choose to be in the NCAA. They, they make that choice. It is a voluntary decision, so you would think that the NCAA has a case to have rules that are not uh, beholden to state law. And so if you're the NCAA, I think that's the only thing you can do because you're not going to stop people paying players under the table. You're not going to stop inducements, but you can at least stop it being so open and then maybe people won't freak out as much and they can pretend that this player went to Clemson because they have a slide in their facility and not because they gave him $100,000. That is the – that and then closing the portal, which I'm sure we'll get to later, I, yeah. I think is, is the only thing that can really save the discourse because you're not going to change how it works. It's always worked this way but you can change how people see it. And if they are successful in that, everything I think will calm down from a perception standpoint, which is really all they care about. And that's all, as I've learned again, that's all anybody cares about. They just want to feel like they have a chance. They, Ole Miss fans know they really don't have the same chance as, as Alabama. They know that. They want to feel like they do. Because right now it doesn't feel like they do. It feels impossible. Before this, you kind of knew it was impossible, but it felt, like there was a glimmer of hope right now there's not and like the i'm glad you we'll just go the i was going to go full-on galaxy brain take here at the adventure in the podcast we'll just get to the dessert first before the main course you mentioned about being a voluntary member of the ncaa does this lead to like schools or whatever i don't know what the future of the ncaa is i think they're trying to figure that out themselves does this lead to like a breakaway I don't know enough about it i don't even know what that would look like i say don't know enough about it i don't know if there's anything to know but you're right that they are voluntary members, but you're, there's this ecosystem now that's completely unregulated. I mean, yes, there are state laws or whatever, but show me the enforcing body of that. I mean, you know, Shad White is probably not sending millions to figure out how many. The state law in Mississippi now says the schools can have direct contact with the collectives. Which so. is good for them. And so yeah. you have all this and there's no enforcement and the governing body, quote unquote, the NCAA is a complete sham and clearly incapable of governing. Yeah. So does that lead to, a re I mean, if you lose like a history example, does that lead to a revolution? Does that lead to a secession? I, I mean, it, you know, 15, I say 15 years ago, five years ago, if someone had said, you know, why don't these schools just break? We used to have this on radio. Like, why don't these schools just break away from the NCAA? And like, hey, dad would kind of shoot it down. And then I'd kind of be like, look, I, I like the idea. It's not a stupid idea. I just don't see it happening. Now I guess I can kind of see it happening. I don't know who's going to do it. I don't know how. But all I know just from a general like logic standpoint, if you have this kind of lawless ecosystem and the thing in charge of governing it is completely incapable of doing so, something has to give, right? Like something has to change. Is it the end of the NCAA? I don't know. How does the NCAA adapt? Or they just go off completely on their own and then do the conferences and like schools govern themselves. I really have no idea. Like I said, like I was writing the other day, I am rambling, but will, do you think there will be some sort of breakaway? I don't know what the hell that looks like. The, the seed was planted. Now, I don't remember where this was. You've got meetings going on in Scottsdale. You've got some going on elsewhere in the country as well. I forget who said it. 
uh, you know, I have a computer in front of me. I guess I could Google, but some power player in college football mentioned letting the playoff take over the sport and having a designated person, a commissioner to run the sport. And, and that was planting a seed in a breakaway. Because as you know, the playoff is not the NCAA. Separate entities, completely separate. The college football playoff is not beholden to the NCAA. The NCAA has no power over the college football playoff. So that messaging being out there now, and then you have Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, gave quotes to, of course, who else uh, but Ross Dellinger, uh, talking about that very thing. I mean, he questioned the NCAA's ability to do anything. He said, we can't move forward like this anymore. They're not providing leadership. Something has to give here. And I, I do agree with you, though. I, I think there are a couple of tweaks that they can make to where things would calm down. And I do agree with you. I think the market's going to correct itself because the $8 million quarterback is very unlikely to be an elite-level player. That's just how these things work. Andy Staples says all the time, 17-year-olds are bad investments. The ROI is not good. Half of the five stars get drafted. Now, just because you get drafted doesn't make you a star in college, right? Particularly quarterbacks, too. Think yeah. Shane Patterson, Jacob Eason. I mean, look at some of those top quarterback listed 247 in the last decade. They're no certainty. He's more likely to never start at Tennessee than he is to win a Heisman. It, it, there is a, a higher chance that he's a bust than he is a national championship winning Heisman quarterback. The next guy's not getting $8 million, so I think that that's coming as well. But to your question about uh, leadership and what they can do, something, something has to give at some point. And I hear people say all the time, it's becoming professional sports. College football is becoming the NFL. No, it's not. In, in fact, before you turn off the podcast, hear me out. College football could stand to be more like the NFL because the NFL is not wide open like college football is right now. Yeah. There are pay restrictions, which that's probably something you can't do in college, but still the worst teams get to get the best players, which is also something you can't do in college, but still there's a free agency window. There is a certain period of time where you can add players, sign players, whatever. There are guardrails in place in professional football. There are no guardrails at all in college football. I mean, you have to hit the portal by May 1st to be eligible for the season, but you can enter the portal anytime. There, there's no window. There, there's no anything. It's just wide ass open right now. It could stand to be more like the NFL, where you do have a portal window that is a one once a year thing for a certain amount of time, and that's it. Where where you put guardrails in place that will calm some of this stuff down. Everybody's fighting mad about this Pittsburgh wide receiver hitting the portal late. If there's one window that happens from January first to January twenty first, this phenomenon doesn't exist, or at least it doesn't feel like this. You're not having to recruit your own roster all year long because they can't go anywhere for a while. And, and you say, well, that limits freedom and all that stuff. You have precedent for it. The National Football League paid professionals are limited in where they can go and what they can do. You can add something similar, more restrictive than what they've proposed recently in college. And that comes with some calming down. There are things that they can do that it seems like they are unwilling to do. Somebody in the room's got to be an asshole. And just, hey, 
I'm going to get blowback for this. Or I know it's not going to be a PR win, but we're going to push this through because we know it's what's best for the sport. Sue us, it'll take 10 years, and by then, it'll work. Yeah, or just lead. I mean, they're in desperate need of a leader. You mentioned the commissioner aspect of it. And then, like, as far as, like, the breakaway, like, staying on that for just a second, like, but I'm about to ask you a question that you probably don't know the answer to because I, I sure as hell don't. It can be just football, right? Like, if they were, like, you know, the college football has nothing to do is not be holding the NCAA. Like, what would – I don't understand, like, if they, if college, major college football was like, the hell with this, we're not going to be a part of the NCAA, you couldn't do that, right? It's the institutions. Like, what would that mean for other sports and all that? Like, there's, there's not a world, right, where it's just college football that's no longer part of the NCAA, right? I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, like, I don't, I honestly, I don't know how that works. Would it have to be all sports? I don't, I don't know. That's why it gets so complicated about it. The only reason why I wish I knew this, somebody like Ross or Andy would be a better ask, but I think that the stage has already been set for that because the NCAA does not control the championship. Okay. So the NCAA distributes money that they have earned to all the schools, right? Well, the overwhelming majority of that money that is earned is the basketball tournament. They make a billion dollars a year on the basketball tournament. Mostly men, they get a little bit of money from women as well. And they distribute money to the schools because of that. Are so, they student-athletes if they break away? Do, like, what, what would bind them to have to be in class? I, again, I'm just spitballing ridiculously hard questions. But, like, what is that? You know what I mean? Like, do, do they have to go to school or do they can just go play football there? That, that is – my concern with, with that is I think that would ultimately ruin college sports. If because people keep talking, well, just make them employees. I think again, Feinbaum said something like, "Well, there's no other way. Just make them employees." No, you can't do that because then revenue sharing comes in, and guess who gets cut? The golf teams gone, volleyball gone, most baseball programs gone. All they're gonna have is football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and however many women's scholarships they need to be equivalent to make that work, even if they stay in the academic model. And I would like for there to be volleyball teams and golf teams forever. I I am one of those people that think that college sports needs to exist in its current form. And if they did NIL the right way, it would have been a perfect balance between maintaining the collegiate model while also letting these kids engage in the free market. But instead, it was implemented with with nothing I don't know but I, I don't know what they do I, I Greg Sankey for example doesn't sound like he wants a breakaway he's talked about that uh, if you read between the word salad that he often says I don't think he wants to break away from the NCAA he's said as much many times and I feel like he's despite the uh, angst that the alliance had against him He's the biggest swinging you-know-what in the room right now. And knew the alliance was total horse crap. Like, of course. Like, I, I, would, mean, he, I would have called those commissioners like, are y'all making shirts? What's the deal? Do y'all meet once a month? Like, what yeah. exactly is this? So if he doesn't want it, if he's reluctant against it, maybe that's a consensus opinion. And don't forget, he's on the committee that's proposing all of the changes, the uh, eliminating sports with scholarship limits, the – Coach, the, the cap on number of coaches, those kind of things. That's all something that he is a chair with with the Ohio State AD. So he's heavily involved right now in the NCAA process. And I think, I could be wrong about this, 
I think he's the strongest voice in college sports right now. So if he's not advocating breakaway, it sounds like for now they're trying to avoid that becoming a reality. Yeah, whatever you think. think Sankey, like he, I mean, COVID, I think, proved that he was probably the strongest voice in college sports right now. I mean, he kind of, look, people don't want to hear me champion Greg Sankey as a hero, but he did kind of save the 2020 college football season. Ain't no kind of about that. Yeah, if it were up to the Big Ten, they would not be playing football. And I think he spearheaded with the ACC and the Big 12. and was like, hey, actually, we should probably play. But whatever you think of that is not really the point. The the thing that kills me, like, I guess the last thing I'll say on this before we kind of get down into the, like, realistic part of what's happening right now is like when people say like amateurism is a sham it's like yes and like the call in the revenue sense like the revenue making sports like i don't think when they invented college football they anticipated that you know 20 million people or whatever would watch the national title game and all right. the games would be on saturday nights and all like they didn't envision what this could be and the problem is is the governing structures have not changed on it at all since they wore no helmets or leather helmets or whatever and you know, back in the 1800s. And that shockingly has become a real problem. And like, there is a, a, a nobleness and a usefulness for the college model, right? Like the volleyball player, like, you know, it's like, well, those sports don't make money. It's like college sports originally weren't designed to make money. You know, you give the volleyball player a scholarship and he, she, depending on if your school has both, whatever, it's not the point. Like can go get an education, play four years of college volleyball, you know, get a job, maybe that it helps them get a job that they weren't otherwise going to do or go to a school that they weren't otherwise going to be able to get into. And like that part of it is noble. I just don't know how you save both ends of it. Like, I don't know how you save both parts. I don't think one is going away or the other. Clearly the money-making part is not going away. I just don't know how, how that works. And I'm fascinated to see it. And I guess to put a bow on the big picture part of it that just sounds like a pie in the sky that no one knows exactly how it's going to get sliced up or where it's going. Someone mentioned this on Twitter the other day. I don't think it was an article. I think it was a thread. Someone, and forgive me, I don't know who it was, said, we're living in the transition period right now, and no one likes it because no one really likes transition. It honestly made me think of something with my job. We had this big-ass company, 10,000 employees on five different continents. We changed our CRM. We switched from Oracle to Salesforce. And, buddy, it was a pain in the butt. People hated it. It was nine months of training sessions and all kinds of IT stuff. It's well above my pay grade. A gigantic pain in the butt. People hated it. But now once everyone's on it and things are back to normal and in a more controllable environment where there's you know, organized chains of communication, stuff like that, it's fine. And, you know, I don't know anything about it because my job is to open Word docs and write ad scripts, but I imagine it's for the better. Otherwise, they made the change. But the transition period sucked and people don't like transitioning. And I think that's what we're living through right now. So that's why when people get on message boards or whatever and they're like, this has turned me off to college sports. When the, the the Miami basketball player was like, I'm transferring if you don't up my NIL deal, people really bristled at that. Can't blame the kid, but also don't blame the people for saying, I just don't have as much of an appetite for this anymore because whatever version I'm doing now of quote unquote covering it, it's exhausting of trying to figure out, okay, they got who in the portal? Like, when is this next thing? Like, what's the next storyline? What's their next move? It's hard to keep up with. So I don't blame people for being turned off by it. I just don't think it's permanent because I think this is eventually going to settle. I just think it may take longer because of a lack of leadership. And I don't know where it goes because of a lack of leadership, but this is not sustainable. This is going to settle in somehow. I just don't know how. Yeah, I tend to agree. And the thing I always go back to is, uh, is two things. First of all, um, I've, I've heard from a lot of people and it's sobering. I know it's frustrating, but, I've heard from a lot of people lately that say, well, 
NIL because NIL, we're not going to be able to compete anymore, you know, coming from Ole Miss fans. We're not going to be able to compete anymore. NIL is, is ruining our ability to keep up with Alabama, and it's only going to get worse, they say. But how could it possibly get worse than this? The college football playoff has been around for a while. NIL is very new. The college football playoff is working on a decade old. 48 college football playoff games have been played, right? 13 teams have played in those 48 games. 37 of the 48 games have been played by five teams. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. 32 total appearances in the college football playoff, right? 32 total. 130 teams in college football. 32 total appearances in the college football playoff. 21 of them belong to four teams. Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. So nothing is really going to change. In fact, I think you might see uh, possibly a program like a Clemson be a, unable to compete anymore, and their spot will be filled with a Texas A&M who's giving money to literally everybody. By and large, you, your chances to compete, I don't believe, have changed. I don't think it's actually gotten worse for you. It cannot possibly get worse than the stats that I just read to you, and still, your team is going to play seven games in Oxford this year. You're still going to get to go to the Grove. They're still going to do the lock the vote thing where you get to sway back and forth, and they're going to take the field of the fight song, and they're going to play, and they're probably going to be one of the better teams that you've seen in recent history, and you're going to have an exciting offense and a pretty good defense, and everything about what actually happens is going to be the same for you, the fan. I'll it's not going to change. I'll argue their chances are better right now, and it doesn't even have as much to do with NIL because at the end of the day, if NIL bears itself out in its current form, clearly Ole Miss can't compete with A&M. But again, in a certain way, neither can Alabama and Auburn if you're just talking about sheer pockets and money. But I, from the transfer portal side, I would actually argue their chances have gotten better. Look, I don't think Ole Miss is winning the West this year. I don't think anyone's probably going to beat Alabama. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But with the roster Ole Miss currently has and the way their schedule sets up, would it stun you, just absolutely blow your mind, if Ole Miss beat Alabama and was a one-loss team and won the West and ended up Atlanta? With this current roster they have, would it stun you? Would it stun me? No. I would be surprised. I'm not banking on them to do it, but, like, would it absolutely blow your mind? No. I mean, they get no. Alabama at home. But, okay, would, that, would your answer be the same if they didn't have a Jared Ivey or if they didn't have a Troy Brown or if they weren't able to go land a Jackson Dart and a Michael Trigg or a five-star in Zach Evans. You get the point. Like, we talk about reshaping the roster. You know, as much as was made as Kiffin of, of kind of whiffing on some high school kids, which I think he deserved criticism for. Like, if you listen to this podcast during that time, it wasn't great. Like, you know, you would have liked to get – I'm already forgetting the kid from Columbia's name, but not the – Jaheim point. Otis. Yeah, Jaheim Otis. Who, or, by the way, has completely changed his body already. I mean, he, he is a freak. I mean, oh, just, sure he is. He, he would look like a can't miss. But, like, the – the way Kiffin built the roster through the portal, you couldn't do that five years ago. And so I would argue no. it would give Ole Miss a chance. If you get the right complexion of guys in a given year with a decent amount of depth, which is built in high school recruiting mostly, because you don't bring these portal kids in to sit. Because um, I've talked to a couple of these guys for these uh, these Grove Collective stories I'm helping them out with. Like It was very businesslike. It was like, here, I'm going to get you to the league. This is what we're going to do with you for the next year or two years or whatever. And this is how it's going to go. 
you don't have to promise them the world with the ton of NIL stuff. And so I would argue from the portal side, their chances are actually a little bit better because you can build a competitive roster a lot quicker without having to get five stars. Cause guess what? Ole Miss wasn't getting five stars in the old way of doing it anyway. Huh. It took like a, I don't want to say planet aligning miracle, but it took like a 2013 class type miracle to even have a chance. And look how that turned out for you. You got five years of probation from the sham governing body that it is. So like from that standpoint, I would argue it's better, right? Like you actually kind of have more of a chance if you just get the right guys in there for a year, are you going to be a 10 win program every year and make the playoff three times a decade? Of course not, but you get the right guys. You got a chance once or twice, maybe particularly if, if, if Matt Corral does not, sprain his ankle in the Tennessee game. How different is everything? They might win at Auburn. What happens if they win at Auburn? Now, the way the playoffs shook out this year, they probably still don't get in. But most years, a one-loss West school is getting in. To your and don't and don't forget, they're still going to push expand playoff expansion. Is still going to be pushed through eventually. That that is going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, but no, that's why I've been such a champion of the portal. Because if you do it the right way, it can alter everything for you. And I've used this example for, I hope I haven't said it on here because I hate being repetitive. I just, you know, I do live streams, I do a radio show, I do all this stuff. I don't know or remember where I say things. But Lane Kiffin and every Ole Miss coach to follow him has to do things differently. You cannot do it the same way Alabama and Texas. And this applies to 2022 and 2002. And every year in between, before or after, you're never, ever going to have the resources of Texas, A&M, Texas, LSU, Georgia, Alabama. You never will. You have to do things differently to be competitive with them, regardless of what that difference is. Because I've heard from Ole Miss fans over the last few months especially, oh, I really wish Lane wouldn't rely on the portal guys because who knows what that's going to do to the locker room or whatever. He really needs to focus on getting, you know, 25-person high school play, high school classes and stuff like that. I hear people say that, and I think, show your work. Why do you think that that's the better way? Because that's what you've done for the entire existence of your program, and what do you have to show for it? You, you don't have anything – to show for it that the most success you've had in recent history when you had a Manning at quarterback and then you have to fast forward a while, you had the number seven recruiting class in the country and those guys were older and you happened to sign a junior college quarterback who was a bunch of trouble that had happened to be an elite level player when you can keep them under control. And in fairness, barring a miracle should have won the West. Should have won the West. And then fast forward a few years later, and it was elite-level quarterback play and a defense that was vastly improved because of a bunch of transfers. You ha if you're going to be successful at a place like Ole Miss, you have to be different, some kind of different. So at least Lane Kiffin is trying to not be Alabama because if he was trying to be Alabama, he would never be successful, ever. So they've got a roster that can, under the right perfect storm, be competitive nationally this roster on paper can be competitive on a national level will it probably not but can it on paper it can and that's because he has embraced the, the change in college football the portal has directly impacted Ole Miss's 
ability to be successful because they were embracing it so much. And the next example I'll use, because everybody talks about like this Pittsburgh receiver that's going to leave. Pat Narduzzi, oh, Narduzzi's so mad. He calls Lincoln Riley furious because he took my best receiver. Well, Pittsburgh took Akron's best player. Did Joe Moorhead call Pat Narduzzi raise in hell because he came in and took Akron's best player? Why is nobody feeling bad for Joe Moorhead today? Because Pittsburgh went into Akron and took his best player. Southern Miss signed, if I remember correctly, 10 players out of the portal that were previously at SEC school. And they have a couple more from other Power 5 schools, if I remember correctly. That means Southern Miss, at worst, signed an entire sides of the ball, an entire side of the ball's worth of players that they never could have gotten otherwise, ever. Southern Miss is never beating Arkansas for a recruit. They are not beating Ole Miss for a recruit, and they're not beating Mississippi State for a recruit. But they've got a dozen of them on their team. Their roster got exponentially better this offseason because of the new landscape. And I know nobody really cares about Southern Miss, but there are more Southern Misses in college football than there are Alabamas. And nobody talks about that side of college sports. Nobody talks about that. The Southern Miss is getting better because of the portal. Even the Ole Miss is getting better. It's a cute little clickbait story, but nobody in these think pieces, these national conversations about how it's the wild, wild west and the sport is ruined, never mentions, holy shit, Ole Miss is competitive now because of this. Southern Miss has really good players now because of, of this right here. You're, you're getting guys that are buried in depth charts at other schools that get to go play, and they end up maybe getting to go to the NFL. Uh, none of the positives are ever talked about, and I think when you really think about them, they outweigh the negatives if you embrace it like Will Hall and Lane Kiffin have. And the deal with the portal, right, is you have to hit. And Lane Kiffin is a really good evaluator of talent. If Lane Kiffin was a schmuck and didn't know what he was doing from a talent evaluation perspective, they would suck. They probably would have gone like 6-6 six and six or something last year or whatever and wouldn't have been nationally relevant. But, you know, you get a Jake Springer and a couple other pieces. And it's not just Kiffin. I'm talking about his entire staff, too. Just think entire coaching staff. You have to hit, but you're exactly right. And so with the – if you want to bring in the NIL piece of it, too, it's – it's kind of like Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball doesn't have a salary cap. The Tampa Bay Rays know they have no way to go get a Giancarlo Stanton in free agency and pay him $200 million. Think the five-star kid that A&M got or two of them. And look, football and baseball are not the same sport. This is not a perfect comparison. But the Rays won 100 games last year and were the odds-on favorite entering the playoffs to win the World Series on a minuscule-sized payroll compared to two of the other teams in their division, much less baseball as a whole. Because there's so many players in baseball to scout and evaluate and develop. And, like, now the Rays have a reputation. Anytime the Rays trade for a pitcher, they're like, oh, that other team got fleeced. I don't know what they see in this guy, but surely the other team lost because the Rays are going to turn him into a guy that throws 99 with two other pitches and is going to be absolutely awesome despite you never hearing his name and pitching in front of 8,000 people. And so I feel like the portal aspect of it has opened up a whole other pool of players that are more known commodities. I mean, you think about – I mean – I did a podcast with Weldon back in December where we went through Ole Miss's like last five classes and just started naming dudes that I guarantee fans either completely forgot, never heard of, or whatever. 
And it's because yeah. the only way of really doing business was to take 25 kids. And like, you know, I mean, how many of the 25 kids in a good class do you love? Six, 15, 16? How many in the class do you hate? I'll never forget Hugh Freeze calling the 2015 class or whatever a punishment because, you know, he lacks self-awareness. He probably liked three kids in that class, but he's got 22 others coming because you got to sign guys to fill out a roster. Now it's opened up this entire pool of players to evaluate that are older, have grown into their bodies more. I did, I'm doing the NIL things. Mason Brooks left high school at 6'3", 240. Now he's 320. Um, Troy Brown at the Flint, Michigan school or whatever, went to Central Michigan, he was 180 and was a safety when he showed up. Kids' bodies changed from 18 to 20. Yeah. And now you're getting older guys that are filling out. Again, you have to hit. But NIL part aside, if you don't have this big pool of money, then I hate using analogies like this, but, like, be the Tampa Bay race. Like, go find yeah. – 10 high school kids you love, 12 high school kids you love, 10 more in the portal, you better make sure you hit on them. Because, you know, the years the Rays don't hit on them, they're 78 and 86 or whatever, and, like, small market, what was us? But, like, that's kind of the path. And before that, that wasn't the path because you signed 25 kids. You're definitely not going to have the depth of any of the other 25, like the 25 kids at an A&M or at Alabama or whatever, and then it's just kind of screwed. I think it's provided more opportunity despite NIO itself not being really fair, if that makes sense. Yeah, and for – Troy Brown, for example, isn't it easier to hit on portal guys because you have film on them? Isn't, that, isn't it easier to hit on a guy like him? Because while you know, it's Central Michigan, he played two games last year against Power 5 opponents. They happen to be his best games of the season. So you got to see him play Missouri, who's not on your schedule, but in your conference, and you saw, hey, he's fast enough. He's a good enough tackler. When the competition elevates, dude can play. So would you rather Troy Brown from Central Michigan or five-star from Atlanta, who you're not really going to get anyway, but just pretend you can get five-star from Atlanta, who is more likely to hit? It's Troy Brown than five-star from Atlanta, because five-star from Atlanta is tackling little Timmy, who in the spring works on playing the clarinet. I mean, it's just a totally different game. And so when you're evaluating a guy at TCU, a guy at Georgia Tech, even a guy at Western Kentucky, he's playing against college players. It's, it should be easier to evaluate the portal guys and the high school guys. So, yeah, of course, there's, there's inherent risk in anything you do. But when people say it's risky, I, you know, maybe I'm just blind to it because I admire the attempt and the strategy. It feels to me like it's less risky if you are able to sign them. The evaluation piece, I don't find risky. It's easier because you've seen them develop, like you said. You've seen them gain 100 pounds. You've seen them go through late puberty, and, and their body changes, and they grow four inches, and they get wider, and they get faster, and they get stronger. Not every guy does that. No, you're exactly right. And, like, it's – no, like – Again, and we've been clear on this. I'm not saying either one of us are suggesting it or the listener. I feel like our listeners are pretty smart. Are saying we're suggesting this. It's also not going to change the balance of power greatly because guess who else no. gets to use the portal? Alabama. They got Jamison Williams, and if that kid doesn't tear his ACL, you're probably talking about another Saban national title. Probably is a little strong, but you get my point. Like it's a different game. You know, they lost one more receiver, and magically Georgia was able to fend up a lot better defensively. And so the good guys use the portal as well too. But I mean. I don't know. Is there a world like, look, I think with A&M's roster, there's just going to be a baseline to where they are going to compete with this year talent. But like, is there a world where 
they go high school heavy because NIL, guess what? A bunch of 18-year-olds don't pan out. And then you look up in 10 years and A&M still hasn't won anything of consequence. They paid a bunch of money for a bunch of guys and it still never panned out. I mean, New York Yankees haven't won a World Series since 09. Haven't really gotten that close barring a couple outside of a couple recent ALCSs with actually some younger rosters. I'm just curious to see how it works. And I just think the transfer portal part of it, you know, as unfair as NIL may be, at least gives you the opportunity versus – Man, can you imagine if the transfer portal was a thing and it was just NIL with 25-person high school classes? That would be the worst-case scenario. Yeah. That would be just absolutely – that would be an absolute just horror show for even just mid-level schools. And so it's fascinating. But getting into, like, the minutia of it and, like, the part that actually affects the day-to-day as we're in this transition period, uh, whoever dubbed it that I thought was very smart doing it. The Matt Luke piece of this, the Ross Dellinger-Matt Luke story is also intriguing to me. These coaches just – either mass exiting, I don't even know if that's a word, to the NFL, or just being like, I'm good, is fascinating to me. Because when Matt Luke quit and was like, hey, I'm out, there was part of me that was like, oh, I wonder what happened there. I hope he's okay health-wise. I hope he didn't get in NCAA trouble. But then immediately, honestly, about 90 seconds later, I was like, is there a world where he was just like, I'm sick of this? And now Matt Luke was a little easier of an example because of how much money he was paid not to coach Ole Miss. Ross, Ross made sure to mention that in the article. It, yeah. it gave me a good laugh. He made sure to remind everybody that Ole Miss paid him a fully guaranteed $12 million buyout. Yeah, shout out Ross Bjork. But, like, you have to, right, to, to add context to it. But in Matt Luke's probably not the greatest example because, again, he's getting paid a ton of money. He had a very weird career arc. His career kind of reached the peak. I hope it doesn't end up being the peak, but it seems like it at a weird age. But, like, I, I say all that to say, like, two minutes after the initial, like, news, I was like, maybe he just said to hell with this. Because you're yep. seeing it more and more. You even saw it right before the portal. Chris Peterson was like, I'm done with this. I don't want to mess with all this. And now with NIL and all this, I guess what I'm getting at is, when we talked about this before, just the completely unsustainable livelihood of being a college coach right now, it's certainly turning into a young man's game in terms of coaching. Because the 27, 28-year-olds haven't accrued the capital yet to say, hey, I'm out, I'll do something else unless they want to go actual work like a normal desk job and not kick it and watch your kids play football and baseball like Matt Luke is. But it's fascinating to me to watch these coaches just go to the NFL because of a better lifestyle. Who would have thought the NFL was the most optimal lifestyle in football? But that's absolutely the case because these guys are recruiting their own rosters. They're in the portal all the time. I thought one of the more poignant parts of Ross's uh, article was Luke was saying, now he has time to watch his kid instead of skip over for an inning, then head back to the facility. And then the other part was um, he mentioned that recruits would call him during his kids' baseball games. He'd have to walk away because he's like, I'm paid all this money. I can't not answer these recruits' calls. It's a bunch of people throwing that have accrued enough money to throw their hands up in the air and said, not for me. And I just find that fascinating because that is absolutely going to keep happening until we get this stability and out of this transition period because I don't envy these guys. But, man, it's a shitty lifestyle. Yeah, I say, I, I say that, not envy. I don't feel bad for these guys. But, man, it's a bad lifestyle. No, I, I don't feel bad for multi-million dollar football coaches either. But um, what I've come to realize is I think the most simple answer is one that they probably won't do. Like, reading Ross's story, I, I feel that. I mean – I think that Lane Kiffin, for example, I think his next move is the NFL. I think so, too. I think that's his next job. People are like, I got asked the other day by a friend, oh, well, what jobs might come open this year that Lane might take? Said the Carolina Panthers. 
Because, I mean, right now, I, I feel like in terms of college jobs, Lane's got one of the better ones. And I'm not talking about places to win. I'm talking about what he is able to do, what he's able to get away with, what his bosses expect from him. He had to do the Rebel Road Trip thing, but he didn't have to be visible and around like the coach at Auburn has to be. There's not as much pressure on him to be an Oxford local the way other places demand from their coaches. He's allowed to be in the Bahamas right after the Sugar Bowl for a long time while assistant coaches are leaving and his boss is cool with it as long as you get players and win for me. There's not – there's pressure to win. There's not as much pressure to win, but there's not as much pressure to be an 18-hour-a-day guy every day at Ole Miss as opposed to other jobs that he could take. I think the NFL is his next step. But what could solve a lot of this is something I mentioned earlier, and a lot of people have talked about it. It's not like it's necessarily an original thought on my part. But be more restrictive with when the portal is open. Because the proposal out there, which is like late November to December, and then you open it up in April and May, I guess you have to do it twice with academic calendar, but I wouldn't. You, you could stop this, this practice of coaches leaving because having fewer Matt Lukes in college football is a bad thing for college football. You could eliminate that. You could eliminate having to re-recruit your own roster constantly. And it adds a little stability. I would open it January 1st and then close it January 21st. And that may not be logistically possible. I would find a way to make that possible. That's when the portal is open. That's when the portal closes. If you don't find a home in that window, if your school that you are at wants to welcome you back, they can. If you want to walk on somewhere and pay your own way, you can. Or you can go down a level and play. Otherwise, that's too bad. Put some structure on this because it's not just that they're having to recruit 24-7. They're having to fight off other schools for their own roster 24-7. I mean, if not for the Grove Collective, think about the kind of stuff I'm sure were said to or attempted to be said to Matt Morell and Deshaun Ruffin. Because if I'm Penny Hardaway, if I'm Bruce Pearl, if I'm – I look at Deshaun Ruffin and Matt Morell and I say, hey, guys, what is it going to take? Hey, you know your coach is on the hot seat? You know that if, if he doesn't win, he's going to get fired, not here. And guess what? I've got this collective, the, the Tiger Collective, and we'll put together a package for you, son. You had a hard practice I heard the other day. You come to Auburn, I won't treat you like that. That kind of stuff. They can get in these kids' ear anytime they want. And that's not right. So a, a guardrail will so, – when I read that Ross article that you referenced that started this, that was the only thing I kept thinking. Add a guardrail. Don't force these assistants to be recruiting the portal 24-7. Make it three weeks. Or, hey, guys, when our season's over, we'll have signing day in December, and then we'll have our bowl game, and then I need you for three more weeks. And you've got to grind your ass off for three more weeks, and you've got to be on, and you've got to make calls, and you've got to be at the facility from 5 o'clock in the morning till midnight, and then you're back up here at 5 the next day for three weeks. And when that three weeks is over, our roster is set. You go on vacation, and I'll see you in March for spring practice. I think that that is healthy for the sport and can calm a lot of this down. 
and I don't even know if it's feasible. <laughs> I don't know if it is either, but I agree with you. Like something has to give, right? Because like my thing is, even if you opened it like once or twice and you have this whatever um, period, is that going to stop people from – no, it won't. I mean, this may not be the point. I'm answering my own question. But like, it's going to stop guys recruiting – people off other people's rosters where it's like, Oh, look at this kid. He's not playing. I know he can't say he's in the portal yet, but like we, you know, we can back channel and do all those things that that's where the enforcement part, I guess would come in as well. I think that would help. I'm just curious to like how much that would change. It would definitely change his coach's lifestyle. So, but I'm just curious how much it would change kind of the free for all picking off other people's rosters and stuff, but you're right. Something has to give here with regard to that because it's, it's completely unsustainable. I mean, the, the one of the things that stuck out without the, uh, without um on the Ross Dellinger piece was that Luke was like yeah the other night on a Wednesday me and my wife went and ate oysters and then I went home like we went to an oyster bar nice on like a Wednesday yeah he's sitting in flip-flops at a coffee shop and he's just like amazed that they live normal lifestyle so I think there has to be some kind of cap on it kind of like a free agency period I don't know what that looks like maybe it's eliminating the December signing period I don't know how that plays into it but like I imagine you're going to have to change this high school signing period as well to maybe coincide a little bit better with the portal because it seems like those two are one and the same in some senses. But something absolutely has to give because it's also sometimes working the detriment of the player. I give uh, – what's his face? Dave Aranda some credit at Baylor. You know, he needs quarterback depth. And him naming Blake Shapin over Jerry Bohannon or Gary Bohannon, I forget that kid's name or how you say it, the starter after spring allowed Bohannon the trans the opportunity to transfer. Um, he could have very well just BS the whole thing and said no open competition, even though he knows Shapin's his starter, and then announced it one day after classes start, and then Bohannon is can announce he's in the portal, but is kind of stuck where he is. So like it could work in the kids' favor as well. There's got to be some kind of more controlled window to it. I don't really know what that looks like, but until there is, you're going to continue to see more Matt Luke's because. Luke saying I've, I can go eat oysters with my wife and not have to worry about calling recruits is just like perfectly hilarious and all this. But again, who's going to do it? Is it the NCAA? Because I feel like the kind of the, the misleading step in all this was doing the December transfer period. It doesn't seem like anyone, not transfer signing window. It doesn't seem like anyone likes that. It seems like in hindsight, that was a terrible idea. And everyone's looking up saying like, I don't, I don't know why we did this. So, like, doesn't you think it has to be an overhaul with the high school part of it included? I don't know what that looks like, but it seems like rebuilding your roster has to look all the same. Like, you know, the draft is around the same time as free agency, not the exact same thing, but that has yeah. to be more uniform, doesn't it? It does, and you know what would uh, really help that if college football had a commissioner that the coaches and ADs could talk to about this and make changes on an annual basis. Yeah. That, that, that would really help all of this if – but that would require relinquishing power and all that stuff. But, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, Bears repeating, that could change a lot of this too. If you had Greg Sankey, for example, just throwing that out there, who was in charge of college football, and they had a year of the early signing period, and they went, hey, Greg, this sucks. We can't sustain this. And Greg is like, okay, here's the change. And the change is enacted right away, just like Roger Goodell can do with various things. Or they have a little competition committee where the owners get together in this case where a committee of coaches get together and they vote on rule changes yes no table this approve that and that happens on an annual basis could you imagine how much better everything would be if that was an option for them it would, that's yeah. the most logical approach but 
Nope. Can't everything do that, gravitates can back towards a leadership problem, right? There's no one to do this. I mean, Mark Gibbard announced he's stepping down. I don't think anyone's like sad about that by any means, but like, you know, imagine, I'm trying to think of like the greatest example of this. You know, I don't remember, obviously we weren't alive when the NFL started free agency, but imagine in the middle of like the transition period of like legislating what free agency will look like for the NFL. The commissioner was just like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> you guys figure this out on your own. It's like, yeah. it's just a complete another like, clown show in that regard and I don't know what it looks like that I don't know I mean it seems like all roads lead to some sort of like college football commissioner or whatever but again I'm not holding my breath on that happening but I just found the Matt Luke part of that really fascinating because I mean look at uh, Chris Kiffin Chris Kiffin that was so funny to me where he's like oh yeah I'll come back to Octor take a job my brother stuff 24 days in I'm sure he called like 15 recruits and was like that cold weather in Cleveland's not so bad. I'm headed back up there. But guys, I want to screw with it. The other part of it is the family aspect. You have a young son. I can't relate to this on my own now, though. But, like, never seeing your kids and working year-round. And, like, I mean, they, one piece in that article. So I wouldn't like, do it. Saban's kid get uh, – Saban's staff get, like, two to four weekends off a year. Weekends, not weeks. Weekends off per year. It's just mind-boggling. And that kind of plays in the aspect of it becoming a young man's game. Because once you have kids and once you have a family – who would sign up for this unless you're doing it for, you know, let's say I'm doing it till my kid's 10, making a ton of money and then getting out, right? That seems like the more realistic path because honestly, you got to be kind of a psychopath to continue to want to do this with a real family just over and over again. It, it kind of sounds miserable. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it now. I, I Even for the money, I would not do it now. If I got two weekends off a year, I wouldn't do it. Even if it meant I had a $500,000 salary, I, I'll take what I'm making right now and have weekends with my kid than, than that and not being able to see him. I, I really would. It's, it's an unsustainable lifestyle. Maybe some – never mind. It's the NCAA. I was going to say maybe some pragmatic changes will actually help that out, but those aren't coming. No, they're not. And that's what's uh, – again, I get the end of the day, I just throw my hands up. We talk for an hour, and it's like, I don't know where this is going. Exactly. It's You're our only hope in whatever the committee is called. I was about to say, if you want to talk about some certainties, I do know it. It will not be this way forever because it just can't. I just don't. But I just don't. I don't know what it looks like, and I'm fascinated to find out. I think it's a fascinating storyline. You know, it's turning some fans off, and I, like I said, I understand that. I'm not be, like begrudging fans for saying, "Why do you not like this?" or whatever. Despite us outlining some of the positives, I get it. But it is a fascinating storyline to watch it happen in real time. It's kind of interesting. I mean. Shit, what are your late 20s? I'm late 20s as well. Like, we've in the last five years, we've lived through a lot of historic periods. I could do without some of them, but this is kind of an interesting one to live through because when we get older and people are calling us old farts for still do if we're still doing this on a microphone every day, we're going to have lived through the transition part of it, which will be kind of like, I guess, neat to say in some ways. Because yeah. I imagine when we're both 35 or 45, there will be much more stability. I don't know what it looks like, but it has to be. There's no other way for it to go. It won't continue on this path. They won't let it happen. I mean, it, it, I don't think we talked about the lack of like motivation to like step up in leadership. And I think part of that was rooted in the fact that before this NIL stuff, everyone except the players was benefiting and making a ton of money from it now. And they're still doing it, but like they don't stand to gain necessarily from changing because I don't think it's going to make them any more money. But I wonder if you just get so many million dollar coaches with miserable lifestyles 
and a bunch of conference commissioners with a bunch of new headaches, that will prompt people to change if that makes sense. Like it doesn't seem like in the beginning there was any incentive for the guys that were getting the biggest bite of the apple that weren't the players to change. And maybe now the wheels are starting to turn where like, I mean, Lane Kiffin's not the greatest example because he just seems to adapt with the times, but like, I mean, Dabo Sweeney just be like, Hey, like Nick, can we change some of this? Cause this sucks. Like, Nick's probably like, I got two more, three more years and I'm out of here to hell with this. But like, you know, your 45 year old head coach rock star in five years, just being like, Hey, can we, can we get a grip on this? This is absurd. I'm losing assistance left and right. Yeah. And usually like most things, once Saban complains about it, maybe somebody will do something about it. Hopefully wait, hot take is Saban too old. Could we, if it should, would we been better off if this had happened with Saban in his sixties? Cause I think he's been more yeah. on the change yet. <laughs> What I can't stand, man, is is the people when when Dabo Sweeney whines and complains about something, people in our business are like, oh, we should listen to him. Oh, man, you know, Dabo's right. It's not about education anymore. Are, are, are you? Are, Dabo Sweeney makes $10 million a year. And you want us to listen to him about it not being about education? When is the last time a major recruit signed with a major college football program because of an academic anything? When is the last time a kid has signed with Clemson University for academic purposes? 1927? I mean, seriously. It's not it's – it's a good school. It's a nice degree. It's not anything special. Nobody goes to Clemson for an education while playing football. That the whole, but, but we buy this crap. Kalani Sataki, for example, the multi-million dollar head coach at BYU said, and I listened to the clip, by the way, not just the screen grab. I listened to the clip. He literally said, I don't know if 18 and 19-year-olds should have that much money in their account because – they're going to take – what are they going to do? Go on a date at Ruth Chris, and then date number two is going to be in the Bahamas? They should be scrapping for change and going to dates at a little diet. Like, that's the example he used, was they shouldn't be able to take their girlfriends to a nice steakhouse and then on date number two, a foreign vacation. That was the example this guy used. And so when it's, when it's these people – that are complaining about these multi-million dollar coaches wanting to cap the earning potential of other legal adults, I tune them out. I can't sympathize with those people. It's the low-level staff members whose stories need to be told more so than Dabo Sweeney, who's got $9 million coming to his bank account in the year 2022. Spare me the educational bullshit that he constantly talks about. Oh, there's too much entitlement in the world. The $10 million football coach said. Those are the wrong people to deliver this message because there are cynics like me, and that I guess that's what I am, who completely tune it out. I completely tune it out. How, and on top of the fact that it's anti-American to cap illegal adults' earning potential, you have no cap. You have a fully guaranteed salary. When you poorly perform, every dollar is given to you. Every single dollar is given to you. And you want to cap somebody else's earning potential? 
I, I have no patience for it. I can't hear it. It's nonsense. You just They're the wrong people. You just hit the line I wanted to get at. I was about to say nine times out of 10 when I'm like driving in the car or like whenever listening to right radio and some radio host is like, that's just un-American. I'm like, oh, well, this guy doesn't really have a great point. He's just like blowing smoke out of his ass. That was, but in this case, that was my first reaction was that's just an anti-American statement. This 19-year-old kid shouldn't have that much money in a bank account. What are you talking about? Why? Like, what do you mean it, shouldn't? It's not the, the full house star, the Olsen twins, when they're seven years old. Of course, a seven-year-old shouldn't have a couple million dollars with a uh, with the debit card. So this is an 18-year-old kid. He can vote. Like, he can serve yeah. with the military. But who are you to tell him how much money he could have in his bank account? And I don't think any rational person, like, believes that. And honestly, you're I mean, shocker. When you ask these college football coaches who make millions of dollars on mostly unpaid labor – to be like, you know, economists for a second, they're going to sound like morons because <laughs> they're glorified gym coaches making a ton of money. And it's yeah. it just leads to worse, bad sound bites after bad sound bites. But I don't know. It's a fascinating conversation. It's literally a podcast that could be done in hours and days, honestly, right? There's so many directions. And I'm just curious to see how this continues to turn. Before we get out of here, though, I'd be remiss if we didn't discuss baseball, everyone's favorite topic right now. You guys, and when I was there on radio, we'd always talk about how fortunate we were compared to like a Ryan Brown or those guys, I guess, at the time were, that were at Jocks. Yeah. It's basketball season, and then it's fill a bunch of spring football stuff until football starts because they don't care about baseball in Alabama. We always got the kind of draft of college baseball, and that's one of the things I liked about Mississippi because, you know, shocker, I like college baseball. Boy, what a bummer of a year for both programs in – a way that's shocking that I can't remember because that's the other part about this. It's not like, oh, it hasn't worked out for them. Both of these teams were supposed to be really, 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 really good. What's it been like from a conversation standpoint? Because you guys actually talk to people from Texan, whatever, in Mississippi every day. What's kind of the pulse of it? Are people still interested? Are they mad or they just don't want to hear about it? Uh, they're, they're checking out. And, and, you know, maybe the crowds will show otherwise. But based on the, the mood that I can gather, people are checking out. Uh, differences for Ole Miss, most fans, I, I believe, uh, are are seeing light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we'll have something to look forward to here soon. Uh, when it comes to that, I can't help but wonder, and I know fans don't like this. They'd rather their teams play well and win games and go to the tournament and all that. I think it's almost better that it's happening this way. I, I think it's almost better for the entire situation and everybody involved if it ends like this, if they lose the series this weekend, I mean, it, it already feels it, it is over. It feels like it's over. It's over. But the fact that it's Hoover, if they lose this weekend, like it will yeah. end may whatever against Texas A&M. And I think that's for the best because yeah. there, there will be no debate to be had. Uh, there, there won't even, I don't believe there will be any kind of, frustration, toxicity, whatever. And, you know, maybe Mike won't like losing his job, but he'll get $2 million to go somewhere else and he'll get hired rather quickly. But it, it takes the doubt away by it happening like this. If they went to a super regional and went 0-2 in a super regional, I expect a change still would have been made, but it would have made it a lot harder. Wait, you're going to fire a guy that went to three straight super regionals? You're really going to do that? That makes it tough. And then some fans would have argued against it. Some fans are still going to argue against it regardless. But this makes it easier for Keith, in my opinion. Because now 
you don't have the postseason results and this highly thought of team going into the season with its entire lineup returning who ascended to number one completely and totally collapsed. Completely. No, you're dead and so it just makes it easier. Yeah, no, yeah. You, you know, it with the removes all doubt because this is not a, oh, well, this team just didn't quite have it or there was a bunch of injuries. It's everything that you want to knock him for. It's, I don't understand the offensive part. I don't necessarily know if you can like knock Mike on its own for that because the exact same lineup terrorized SEC pitching last year. I still haven't figured that one out. But like, like the lack of pit, the lack of evaluation on pitching and development on pitching, they're losing or in part because they didn't have enough great starting pitching. And like that's on him. Like it, it, they're Diamond and Drew McDaniel, they're big scholarship guys that were supposed to be anchors of the rotation. Like, a mediocre Sunday guy and a non-contributor on the weekend, basically. And so you're right. It does remove all doubt. Like there is no, oh, well, if so-and-so hadn't gotten hurt or blah, 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 this is an utter failure. It doesn't mean he's a terrible baseball coach. I think he'll go somewhere else and win, but it is certainly time for a change. And I think you're dead on with that. I think it completely removes all doubt. This will make the decision easy. It is what it is. Mike will probably not be happy after losing his losing his job after in his mindset probably like really I had one terrible year and now I'm done but like again at the end of the day like if it had been a super regional thing I think maybe a change would be justified but I don't know if they do it it'd make it a lot harder because like the flip side of that would be like well what are you going to do like we're looking for a return trip to Omaha in year 30 like how far does this go I mean he's about to be in year 23 and so I think this does make it easier but it doesn't make it odd Honestly, it doesn't make it any less stunning. I, going into this year, I thought this team's probably in a little bit of trouble because of the pitching, because of what we saw, seeds of what Derek Diamond and Drew McDaniel maybe necessarily weren't becoming. But I was like, hey, you can bash your way to Omaha. You can hit. And early in the year, the pitching sucked. The hitting was okay. Figured they'd figure it out. I remember doing a podcast with Colin after being like, hey, if they can figure out the pitching, this offense is always going to hit. Well, they figured out the pitching and the offense is absolutely atrocious. And that's the most shocking part of it to me. I mean, dude, that Saturday game is everything that is wrong about this offense. They had seven men on base with no outs combined in the seventh or ninth innings and scored one run. That's unfathomable with your season on the line. Because if they won a game at Arkansas, God forbid they were like two points away from a sweep. You're having a very different conversation today. That's the part that – makes it most shocking to me is the utter collapse of what was supposed to be one of the better offenses in the country. They are one of the worst offenses in the SEC. I don't know if they are the worst because I haven't watched like enough of like, I don't know, South Carolina wasn't great, but like you get the point. Like they are awful. And that's the part that's shocking to me. But change is coming barring some sort of miracle. And everything's the same. But uh, to to your original question about how how we're covering it, it you can't anymore. I, I mean, it, what what else is there to say? It, it's the same thing on a weekly basis. It's the exact same thing. They've had these problems from the beginning. Uh, they, they were a bad defensive team from day one. Uh, they had starting pitching issues from day one. Seems like they figured it out, but that's kind of an indictment as well because it took you how many weeks to discover that you had two quality starters one very very good starter and you didn't realize that until weeks into sec play so even the good is still bad that's where the conversation is now though because i think at this point like breaking down the weekends is an exercise in futility nobody Ah. wants to hear it (laughs) nobody wants to hear it and it's the same thing every week and now it's you know when is when is the trigger proverbial trigger going to be pulled here and when it does, 
how does it go? Because I think that matters. How does it go? Is it amicable where he's, he's going to get his money, but will it be to where you honor him in some way because he deserves it? Or is it going to get kind of ugly? This is just a complete guess. I don't know anything information-wise. If they lost the series this weekend, or heaven forbid the Missouri Tigers came in and took three, I think there's a chance that they uh, might make an announcement. Hey, he'll finish out the year, blah, blah, blah. It just feels that way. I don't know anything. Like I said, this is just me completely guessing on my own. It feels like that. The second part of that is, again, just a guess, knowing of Mike Bianco and kind of how he acts and how he carries himself professionally, I'm not sure he'd necessarily want a victory lap over the last two weekends or kind of a farewell tour. I think history will remember Mike Bianco fondly. I think if he wants to come back in five years and do a Jersey retirement or whatever it is. Put his name on the outfield wall or whatever. Whatever it is. The guy who gave you 22 great years, that will all be friendly and chummy and there'll be great times and former players there and stuff like that. I don't know if it's to the level in the moment where he kind of – lets up enough to be like okay I had a great run here I'm going to soak in the last couple years because he's only 50 something years old they only went to Omaha once right he's not legend status he had a very 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 good tenure and built up Ole Miss into something relevant but it's not like Mike Martin at Florida State that type of level Skip Berkman Uh, it honestly reminds me of Paul Maneri where he wins the national title early on at LSU and then the results just didn't quite cut it and like it was amicable or whatever and, like, they kind of gave him a little mini farewell tour or whatever. Probably a lighter version of that, if I had to guess, is how this goes. But maybe they win two this weekend, and then it just kind of fizzles out. You know, it's College a- baseball media is going to oversell when it happens. They're yeah. going to oversell badly. Well, remember the national media, and I don't want to I don't want to dump on anyone because I like the guys that cover baseball nationally, and it's an incredibly hard sport to cover. Remember in 19 when he was as good as dead? And we were talking about it on the show, and then a couple of national guys were like, Mike Bianca's not getting fired. It's like, buddy, do you check the pulse of Oxford lately? Mike Bianca was dead in the water in 19. If they don't go on some ridiculous run like they did at Hoover and Ross doesn't leave in the middle of the night for A&M, he was absolutely getting fired. So I agree with you. I think it will come to more of the shock. Ross Bjork had the decision made. He, he, yeah, I think it was done. It was done. Until it wasn't, but it was. Yeah, I was gonna say now, if Ross had stayed and they lost in Game Three in uh, Fayetteville, like they ended up doing, it wasn't happening. But given the circumstances at the end of May, that was happening for sure. Yeah, but yeah, they'll they'll oversell it for sure, and that's it goes into the the same thing that I say so often about Ole Miss because I I've already heard it from people. Oh well, it could be worse. It could be worse. They better be careful. It could be worse. They shouldn't do this because it could be worse. Remember what it was before he got there. You, you do not sacrifice being great because you're afraid of not being good. And Ole Miss baseball, especially with, with a couple of things down the line coming where they could, probably will, end the practice of limited scholarships in sports, that sounds like it's coming and coming soon. And by the way, Ole Miss is one of, what, five programs in the country that will actually have players that receive NIL money? Nobody gives a shit about baseball outside of Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Tennessee's pretending to care, but if they're not the best team in the country, they won't care anymore. Uh, Who else will have baseball players making real money in NIL? 
just a handful of spot programs, your Texas is um, – Yeah, I, maybe, I yeah. Like Oregon State or UCLA will have something small. I sure. know they have small stadiums, but, like, they're good and people – enough people kind of care. So, basically nobody. You have the potential, even with the scholarship issue, which could go away, for Ole Miss to be among the very few nationally elite-level programs because it's not that right now. As Chase reminds his listeners on an annual basis – You've got the facilities and the fan support, but there are things that, that hold you down that are out of your control. Well, those things are about to go away. And when they do, who will have it better than you? And you're about to sink another $40 million into that stadium. So you can be great. You already could have been great, and you haven't been. But now with the changing landscape, now is a perfect time to strike while a couple particular irons are hot for your job when it comes open, um, it could change the dynamic of your program. It, it, it could have you competing for championships on an almost annual basis. I think you can do that already. Yeah, I think you can do it right now. But add on what could change in sports to the current infrastructure in place, and you have the recipe for a nationally elite-level program. It's there. It's possible. The, no one gets more mad, like we, in terms of segments we do on this show or sound bites or whatever, no one gets more mad than when I mention that Ole Miss is probably like the seventh or best job in the SEC. They're like, what are you talking about? Facilities, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's not what wins you college baseball games in this current ecosystem. It's not a bad job. SEC's best league in America. It's probably top 20 job in America, top 15 maybe. But like, it's, it's certainly behind where most, I would say, casual fans think it is in the realm of the Southeastern Conference, which is unfortunately the league Ole Miss is tasked with uh, winning in. Because, you know, facilities don't, like, you know, entice players to come there beyond, like, I mean, it's probably a little more in college baseball than other sports, but, like, they don't have the scholarship money is basically what it comes down to. And so people get upset about that, but you're right. And then you talk about the, it being an attractive job set up for the future, given whatever NIL does, or, you know, like everything you just outlined. Mike Bianco does deserve credit for making it that attractive. Look at that stadium that it looked like before he got there. Like, that part shouldn't be lost in any of this. He made it an attractive job. He probably peaked and it's plateaued a bit. And, you know, you got the changing ecosystem of college sports in general, and it's probably someone else's time to give them a chance to take it up to the next level. But as bad as it is this year, I do think it shouldn't be lost that Mike Bingo got you to this point because you could be Alabama, you could be Auburn, and many of you listening right now who listen to the Sunday shows and all that could not care less about college baseball if it wasn't for the last two decades. No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. So – I mean, that's it, right? It, the, just the, the next question is when and then who. That, that's really, I think, the only thing worth talking about when it comes to Ole Miss baseball right now is when and who. Feels like McDonald, Butch, and then a ladder down, you get into the Godwin area. I don't know anything. That's just my guess. If I was Keith Carter and I was in charge of the search, I'd call McDonald. I'd call Butch. I think those would be the top two guys. I have um, – If it got past that, if you're talking about down a peg and then it's Godwin and name anyone and I wouldn't be – not anyone, but you get my point. Name five guys and I wouldn't be surprised. I have a feeling that if, if your list – your list wouldn't get past number two. I don't think it would either. It wouldn't. I don't think – I say that. I didn't necessarily see the state search turning into such a clown show. Not clown show chaotic because i mean they hired a guy that 
won a national title. That's completely unfair. I said that wrong. Turning as chaotic as it did. Remember, it was like on the border. If they hadn't gotten a Lamonis, it was like, what are they doing here? Like, Slosh Tangle told them no. Now, granted, that, they went, to their credit, went super, super big game hunting without any sort of, like, ties. And so, you know, whatever, you swing big for the fences and uh, miss sometimes. But I guess never say never. I don't think it would get past the two, but I guess it wouldn't necessarily stun me because that's another part about it. I don't know what other jobs are coming open. I mean, I don't think LSU is. Um Florida, probably not, but hell, who the hell knows with Kevin O'Sullivan. Guy's kind of a wild card. So I think that factors into it some, but I'm with you. I don't think it gets past the second part of it. So it'll be fascinating. The state side of it, though, is fascinating to me. They weren't supposed to be this bad this year. Wasn't their rebuild supposed to come next year? Like, I don't want to do the whole Ole Miss fans are actually better off in terms of having something to look forward to. I don't mean it like that at all. But if I'm a state person, I would be a little more frustrated because it's like, okay, you probably can't really complain because you just won a national title, but it's like, hey, what the hell? Like, we were supposed to transition into, like, a quote-unquote rebuild next year. What, what is this? And I get they lost. Look, you lose Landon Sims. You lose – was it Sinet? Um, Stone Simmons. They've lost Stone four Simmons, bullpen guys. Sinet. And then uh, who's the third kid they just lost? Auger? Auger? Mm-hmm. Like, you lose three guys. You're not going to be as good. But the free fall they've kind of gone into to missing the NCAA tournament, I'd be like, what's going on here? We're supposed to suck next year. Yeah, and their issue – kind of mirrors old misses issue as of late they can't get clutch hits they've pitched it okay uh they're they've really struggled with runners in scoring position and, and runners on base but I, I tried to tell people this I, I tried to tell people this when Landon Sims and Stone Simmons announced on the same day they were getting Tommy John that the team is already struggling a little bit but with them gone you need to alter your expectations because these are high level pitchers and you're not going to win SEC weekends missing guys like them and I was told at the time no you're just an old Miss Homer you're an idiot uh losing a pitcher at state is just like Alabama losing a running back next man up mentality all this stuff and I said okay and they kept losing and they kept losing and their RPI stunk and then they lose two more pitchers and now they're in this situation um there are some pieces though uh, what is fascinating though dude Hunter Hines is a freak I mean, Hines is a freak. kids are unbelievable. Um, Cumbus has come on late, uh, but I think he's gone. Uh, they, they are in a full rebuild mode after this season, as you mentioned. And so it, what Chris Lamotis is going to realize soon, I believe, is that, that the capital that you have built up with a national championship win won't last you as long as you think it will. And if you go to and out. They're not, I mean, they're not going to make the postseason tournament barring something completely unexpected. There are RPIs in the 80s. So you miss the tournament this year. You lose damn near everybody. Total rebuild next year. You miss it again, and people are calling for your head. That sounds crazy, but you've got people doing that now, which, which is, is absolutely, absolutely insane. Nuts. And John Cohen's smarter than that. Yeah. But – the the capital I don't think will last as long as uh, as he probably expects it to, and you you are dead on with the fact that next year is the rebuilding year. Not this year was is not supposed to be injuries built up, but it's twenty twenty three Mississippi State baseball that's going to be the rebuild team, and they have a real chance at being in this exact same spot 12 months from now. 
it's bizarre. It's going to be bizarre when we get to June and college baseball postseason just going to be irrelevant. I mean, I like the sport. I'll turn it on. I like regional weekend, super regional weekend, but like, I'm not going to be as locked in because if it doesn't affect Ole Miss, doesn't affect state. Like, I mean, it's, a, I like the sport, like I said, but like, it's just not the same. It's going to be very bizarre. Um, Southern Miss is pretty fun to root for. That is true. They have a very good team. I'll be interested to see how far they go. I'd love to see Scott Berry make the College World Series. Seems like a good guy. I'd say out of the three coaches we had on the show every Monday, he was always the most pleasant. No knock to Lamonis or Mike, but just seemed like a really good dude. I would love to see them make the College World Series. I think it's a cool story. Um, you could see the seeds of it last year, right? I mean, Ole Miss wanted no part of seeing that offense again in that regional. They were, they were unbelievable. And then he kind of added some guys in the portal, it seems like, and they're Really, really, really good, and good for them. I hope they're a national seed, and I hope they get all the way through to Omaha. Um, but, man, it's uh, definitely going to be a weird postseason. Last thing before I let you go, we got to do a little bit of uh, New Orleans Pelicans corner. What an absolute thrill of a playoff run, man. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this at this point. I like the NBA. I've never really gravitated much toward the Grizz or the Pels. I find myself rooting for both of them. How can you not love John Morant, man? Like watching that last night is just unbelievable. But I feel like I gravitate to the Pels more because I don't know if they were the more irrelevant franchise. And any, like the dysfunction is honestly what like made me find them interesting from the end of the AD days on. Can I jump on the Pelican bandwagon now? Is yes. It that was an unbelievable playoff run. And you've gone in a matter of, I mean, what? February, so like three months of thinking, wow, David Griffin's probably getting canned eventually. The Zion thing's not working out. What are we doing here, too? This is one of the best situations in the NBA. What a run. You watch them every night. How has this been? Uh, It's one of those – there are two great feelings in sports. I don't know what the first one is like because I didn't adopt the Saints until after I moved to Jackson in 2014, so I wasn't there for the Super Bowl run. Uh, I imagine the best feeling in sports is winning a championship. Hopefully one day I'll learn what that's like. The next best thing, though, is the unexpected deep run. Yeah. Because you're just playing with house money. You're just happy to be there. They're winning games. And, no, it was – man, that was special. And the thing is, game six, the Suns are up two with a minute left. Chris Paul is driving, elbows Alvarado in the face. Off – or they call foul on Alvarado. Don't review it. Chris Paul makes both free throws. No, no, no. It was a four-point game with a minute left. Chris Paul makes both free throws, six-point game. It's over at that point. If they call the foul correctly and Alvarado hits both of his free throws, it's a two-point game with a minute left. Maybe it changes everything. And McCollum was bad in the Sun Series, except for in game two. Uh, Everything has changed for them. Because, I mean, the Suns are going to cruise through the West. If this team was intact the way it is now all season, they wouldn't have been in the eighth seat in the eighth spot anyway. Right. They would have been playing Dallas in the first round or something like that. This is a team that can hang with basically anybody in the league in its current form. Uh, it took a while for Trey Murphy to play. It took a while for them to get Alvarado to play. Herb Jones is getting better at actually scoring the basketball on top of his elite defense. As a unit, oh my God. I, I, he is a joy to watch, and he never scores. Just an absolute joy to watch play the game of basketball. But this group, without Zion, has a ceiling of, what, four seed, probably? Four or five seeds, somewhere in there. Oh, I'd go beyond that. And then you add Zion to this mix. 
Oh, okay. No, no, I get what you're saying. No, yeah, I was about to say, if they get Zion back in, like, last year Zion, healthy, you know, not fat Zion, I was about to say, you can't cap him at a four or five seed. <laughs> you got one of the best rosters in the NBA. It's, it's unbelievable to watch because you're dead on with the fact that, honestly, I mean, eight seed, five seed, whatever, if they had played anyone but the Phoenix Suns, I think they would have won the series. I, what shouldn't get lost in this is, and I hope the Suns end up winning a title to validate this, the Phoenix Suns are so good, and what they do in the last five minutes of games, and it starts with Chris Paul, yeah. is absolutely unbelievable. And I imagine if you're a, a fan rooting on the opposing team, particularly in a series like that, it has to be the most frustrating thing that makes you want to drive your head through a brick wall because they're literally like a machine. Their possessions in the last five minutes of games and the way Paul, Paul controls possessions is unbelievable believable and they are really good i think the, perfect I think new orleans would yeah he, what he literally went 14 to 14 in that game six didn't he that is absurd and, and, and herb jones is already one of the best defenders i mean he, he didn't get first or second team all defense or whatever uh should have been he, he's one of the better defenders in the league as a rookie and every possession chris paul got to a spot every single possession he was able to it's unbelievable, but they would have beaten anyone. And what's crazy to me is like the rapid turnaround of this because one, as you know, like it seems like CJ McCollum has been a godsend. Not only did they trade for him, and I get that he was bad in the post in that series, but I mean, Mikel Bridges makes a lot of guards look bad that aren't absolutely elite. Yeah. CJ McCollum, very good player, not elite, but like a guy that wants to be there and like kind of kicked them in the ass and was like, hey, we're going to continue pushing for this seat or whatever, and was like – I mean, he, he was saying stuff like, I've already found my permanent home here and stuff like that. You don't see NBA stars doing like that. I've always liked C.J. McCollum because, uh, fun fact, he was a journalism major at Lee – where did he – went in the Lee – Lehigh. Mm -hmm. um, and like does he was the guy that beat Duke by himself when they were the 15 seed and Duke yeah. was the two. That was C.J. McCollum. Beat Duke by himself that day. And, like, openly says he wanted to be a reporter or whatever if basketball hadn't worked out. Maybe that means he's absolutely nuts. I don't know. But I've always kind of admired him for that. He seems like a smart guy. He hosts his own podcast, whatever, and was doing it before every guy in America has their podcast now. But what a likable guy saying he, like, wants to be there in what many would say, and I don't think this is fair, but the, you know, worst market in the NBA in terms of just, like, it not being run separate from football and all that. Not a ton of success. And he was just like, no, I love it here. And I think what it turned, and correct me if I'm wrong, Zion's sitting out all these games. He looks fat on the sideline. He looks out of shape. I get maybe he could have returned, and I get it's probably smart, but the Pelicans part, if it's true, there's like, nah, just get into shape. Like, we don't need you for this playoff run. It turned in from this is a mess, Zion has a mess to point to, to be like, here's why I won't like, be the first guy to decline that rookie or that rookie level extension or whatever it is and go to New York. He kind of looks like he kind of looks like an asshole if he did that now. Like it's like one of the greatest situations ever. Now it's like, hey man, if you're a real NBA player, why don't you win with this? Otherwise, you're not for real. Like it seemed like it flipped the script. If that makes sense, it did. It, 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 it absolutely changed the narrative. And his exit interview, you can't take him at, at his word or any player at their word because I'm sure James Harden has said, "I want to be here forever" at some point in his sure. career. You know, but still, he he said for whatever it's worth if they give me the contract, I'm signing it today. You know, when they give it to me, I'll sign it. Now the team is going to put some injury stipulations and stuff in there, and it's going to be a little bit more dicey than, than just that. It'll, I think, resemble Embiid's extension that he got uh, after his first four years in the NBA. But at this point, what better supporting cast could he go to? Where could Literally he go? Everyone. 
that could provide him C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, and Jonas Valanciunas in his starting five. What better situation could he go into via trade, for example? Because if he wanted to force his way out, well, wherever he's going would have to give something up. There's no better place that, that he could go than the one he's currently in, and it sounds like he realizes that right now. That if you take this team and put 27 points per game on 61% shooting on this team at the four instead of Jackson Hayes, they can contend. No, you're right. And, like, if he'd have done the New York thing, it's like congrats on being a much more talented DeMarcus Cousins. Like, I, I just – it wouldn't have worked out. Like, that, there's no way that's immediately translating to winning. No. And you mentioned the, the exit interview. I thought that was fascinating because when I was watching that, I was like, it feels like he has to say this, but it's not even because he doesn't mean it. It feels like what has happened is forcing him to say that and kind of mean it, if that makes any sense at all. Like, I don't think he was just saying that to save face. He's not like has to say this because like he would, like I said, he's kind of an asshole if he does it. Like, what do you, what do you, right. why would you want to leave this situation? But like, I think Griffin deserves credit for like the organizational culture part of this is like, they came home from that playoff series. I saw that video to where, like, the execs – not the execs, but, like, the front office people are, like, clapping for the team like it's a little league team with the little – you run through the little thing at the end of a soccer game when they came back from the playoff run. Like, everyone is fired up. Willie Green was, like, in tears when he lost the playoff series. Like, it's a good yeah. culture and everyone cares. And I think that's an underrated part about it as well. It's a fun story to follow. And, like – I mean, Brandon yeah, Griffin even, preaches the, uh, you know, the, the culture thing. And that's a thing that a lot of people do in sports. But he's so weird that I think he actually strives to build. I mean, he's used the phrase family. He's like, I want my players. I want the players to feel like they're, it's a family here. And a lot of people say that in pro sports, nobody actually means that. But I think he actually does mean that for example the, the center that you got to see play billy hernan gomez uh billy not willie even though he spells it w-i-l-l-y uh barely plays doesn't play at all but the team loves him he's a locker room guy glue guy and he said they could have gotten a lot of value for him in the trade market teams were calling because they needed a guy to come play and he said no i'm not giving him up even if i would get a lot for him because the team loves him like He's actually kind of practicing what he preaches there. Give me good people, and if it means it sets me back, it sets me back. But I'd rather have Billy on my roster than get a couple picks, maybe even a piece that would actually play in our rotation, a four that can shoot instead of Jackson Hayes. I got to keep him on the team because they like the guy. But that it actually matters. Like, it's not just complete crap. Like – I'll put it – the last 18 months of the NBA has been fascinating me from the standpoint if this gets into, like, a larger conversation. The Warriors have a ridiculously good culture. They evaluate well. Who, in yeah. the, who on the Golden State Warriors is a hired gun right now? They drafted Jordan Poole. They drafted basically okay. Kevon Looney. Like, you still have that older core there. They're just fine without Kevin Durant. And look where Kevin Durant went, and look where that's gotten him. Like, yeah. this league felt like it was teetering on the brink of everything being a hired gun, and it was only big markets, and it was just like, well, this is going to suck. But what you found out is, like, that's actually not the case because this whole team building and cult and roster and culture and all that actually matters. I am – I don't – I love – I like Kevin Durant. I don't wish anything bad on him or anyone else. But, like, I think it was honestly good for basketball that the Nets failed so stupid. Yeah. 
And the, the Lakers, Lakers got too. A bubble title, and I'm not going to be the guys like it doesn't really count. But they're set up for failure as soon as LeBron leaves. They have no future, no draft assets, no anything. Granted, whatever it's worth, that they got a title, congrats to them. But like, that's not sustained success. That's not being no. the next dynasty or whatever. Philly's kind of the same thing. You traded for Harden. Like, they're about to have a weak second-round exit. It sucks for Embiid that he got socked in the eye. And it's right. – I don't think it would have mattered anyway. But what's the other team that's consistently good? Miami. People like to crap on NBA Twitter for making fun of Heat culture. Udonis Haslam. I'm not saying Billy Hernan Gomez is Udonis Haslam, but, like, that's the guy they keep around. He's not worth the crap. I don't think he even plays in games. But, like, they're consistently good. They're never in the lottery. They never suck. And every five years they're in contention for some yeah. sort of title because of like culture and roster building. And I'm glad the earth is back on its axis in that sense. And it feels like the Pelicans are kind of the latest example, big 18 months for small markets, Giannis in Milwaukee. Thank God they won that title because you know, everyone's like, how can he get to LA? The way the league is covered is a joke by the ESPN. It's like, it's just horrible. How can we get Giannis to Brooklyn? It's like, shut up. (laughs) They just won a title. It's a joke. Oh, just wait. It's going to happen with John Morant, too. Oh. It's going to happen with John Morant in, in Memphis. I hope Memphis beats Golden State. I left State, Memphis you know, out. Like Another State. great example of culture and drafting. I, yes. I left that one out, but a tremendous example. Phoenix is not a small market, and Chris Ball's a veteran that's, that's bounced around, but that, that's how they built. The rest and, of the, it was drafted, and he wins everywhere he goes. Yeah. In Milwaukee, yes. I mean, it took the help of Drew Holiday, but, but Drew Holiday's not a hired gun. That's a culture guy. He's a good player. He's fine. He's a good defender, but that's all he is. He's a culture guy. He's not a hired gun guy. So, so even the Chris Paul and the Drew Holiday that have joined a team and made them even more successful are, are still not Kevin Durant just bouncing around, LeBron just bouncing around. I, I am very on team the bubble title doesn't count because if the Lakers don't have four months off, they would not have won a championship. They, they, I'm kind of in that too. I can't fully it, discount it, but I'm with you. But they're screwed. Like you said, they're screwed. Who is going to join that roster at this point? Who's going to take on Russell Westbrook's contract? Who's going to? (laughs) What cracked me up at the trade deadline was their only thing. It was like, we have this 2027 first. And I was like, how many years is that away? That's the only only thing they had. It's a joke. The Pelicans get their top 10 pick. So not only did the Pelicans make the playoff because of the Anthony Davis trade and how much we fleeced them, we get their lottery pick. So they stunk and they get nothing for stinking like most people do. Which they, is they get awesome. nothing. And I'm glad it's turned that way because, again, I think a lot of people, particularly in the South, are turned off by the NBA and some of the player empowerment stuff. But I'm glad that it has shifted back on this axis because I think people look at Giannis or if the Pelicans do something like, hey, I can win. I just need to commit an infrastructure because, like, I mean, James Harden's a hired gun. Look what happened to him. Kevin Durant got two titles, but, like, he joined a 73-win basketball team. You know what I mean? Like, that part doesn't seem sustainable, and I'm glad. I think that's better for the sport of basketball. Yeah. Man, what a fun story the Pels are. I hope they uh, add some small pieces, but it feels like Zion needs to Dude, not You went that. to a game when they stunk. They were bad when you were there, yeah. record-wise. Anyway, they had started playing better at that point, but they were still bad. So, I don't think it's bandwagon. You supported them when they weren't good. That's not bandwagon. Yeah, I was a courtside ticket holder. I told you that story where we walked See? on. And I was like, I don't understand where they're taking us. Like, act like I looked at MC. I was like, act like you belong here. I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> so, boom, courtside ticket holder to the Pelicans games myself. So, I'm on the Pelicans bandwagon. What a uh, what a fun story. Zion just got to get skinny and make some small moves and see what happens next year, right? Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that's it. It's uh, I mean, they'll have a top 10 pick. Uh, what, what's crazy is 
uh, you mentioned David Griffin. Uh, they were closing playoff games against the best team in the NBA successfully with a rookie, first-round pick, second-round pick, and an undrafted rookie. Three rookies, one from the second round, one that went undrafted, were closing and winning games against the best team in the NBA in the playoffs. And would have beaten anyone not named Phoenix, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm concerned about – I don't think Jackson Hayes – Pelicans media loves Jackson Hayes. I don't. I I don't know what he adds other than explosive dunks on occasion, but he's pretty poor defensively, and he doesn't stretch the floor at all. I I don't think he should even be the first man off the bench when Zion comes back. I I think that they have figured out the lineup and rotations by using Jackson as like, okay, this is what Zion will be. Like, this is where he will be while everybody else fills their role. But I don't want, I don't think Hayes should play at all. I, I, they need to find some shooting. Devontae Graham hasn't worked out. Uh, maybe they'll get that in the draft pick. I don't know. Trey Murphy needs to play more, but they are one piece away from being a legit contender. And that piece, his name is Zion Williamson, who is already on roster. And you already know when healthy, he's an elite level player. That's all they're missing. Everything else is there. Great defenders. Good guard play, a superstar could in the making anyway. And Brandon Ingram, did you see his PPG in the six playoff games? Uh, everything's there. I've been waiting for this for a while. I'm not a lifer, but I'm a 2014 guy. I mean, you know, we've been through some shit since then. Oh, I mean, you might as well be. There is no Pelicans lifer. It's it's that semi Western Conference semifinals with Chris Paul against the Spurs, and that's it. So yeah. the golden age of Pelicans basketball with Michael Borky. I appreciate the time, my man. As always, we'll check back in opening night NBA season. No, I'm just kidding. We'll be back before then. But uh, I appreciate the time as always. We'll do this again soon. All right, man. See you soon. And that was Michael Borky. I appreciate his time as always. Good catching up with my old pal. We'll be back at it with uh, Mailbag Friday and Grill Corner with Greg on Friday, as uh, as in tomorrow. So looking forward to that. And then got some, uh, hopefully some guests in the works here in the next couple of weeks for this pod. Maybe do a Sunday show about baseball. We'll, uh, we'll see. I uh, kind of doubting it at this point, but uh, we'll see how it goes. You guys have a great uh, Thursday, and we'll uh, catch you on Mailbag Friday.